this afternoon at the Rogers Center. Toronto Blue Jays look to avoid the sweep at the hands of the San Diego Padres. We'll get you set for that tilt. Plus, it is Throwback Thursday, and with the Padres in town, let's deep dive a really important trade that took place between the Blue Jays and the Padres. Probably know where I'm going with that, but we'll have some fun taking a look at it. And as this is season number 47 in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history, let's take a look at some significant number 47s in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history. You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily Toronto Blue Jays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Craig Ballard, Locked On Blue Jays. Yes, indeed. I've been locked on the Toronto Blue Jays ever since I can remember. Toronto Blue Jay baseball, a big deal for me. It's a big deal for my family. So I certainly do thank you for spending part of your day talking Toronto Blue Jay baseball with me. I want to remind you that the Locked On Blue Jay podcast is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And also friendly reminder that today's game, all the Blue Jays games this season, of course, available for you to take in on Sirius XM. Now to the everydayers taking in the Locked On Blue Jay podcast on YouTube, I want to thank you. Please hit that like, leave that comment. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Shout out to Charger the Comic number two, not to be confused, I guess, with Charger the Comic number one, but that's that's the that's the handle I saw there, Charger the Comic number two. That's the username I saw who recently hit that subscribe button. So thank you, Charger the Comic number two. And to the everydayers making the Locked On Blue Jay podcast your first podcast listen every day. Certainly want to say hello and thank you for that as well. Hit that five-star rating, please, and thank you. Getaway day for both of these teams, and they've each got a plane to catch, heading to a brand-new city for a whole new set of adventures for the Blue Jays. They're heading out to the West Coast. They've got a weekend series with Teo and the Mariners, and then at the Dodgers to open up next week. Now, for today, of course, you know, the, the afternoon game, we want to deep dive that. I'm always excited to have the Hound on the mound, so let's get into, in, into this afternoon's game. Chris Bassett, I mean, Chris Bassett, he himself would be sitting here saying, yeah, I've had some I've had some absolute legitimate highs for the Toronto Blue Jays, but if we're having an open, honest conversation, I've had some lows as well. More highs than lows? I would say so, yes. But yes, it, it definitely, you know, some some ups and downs some, and, and really some extremes from Chris Bassett. But overall, I'm going to say that I'm a fan of the hounds on the of the hound on the mound. Now, nine and five is Chris Bassett's overall record ERA just a titch over four at four point one two. There's some glass half full and some glass half empty here. The glass half full, Chris Bassett, this game's at Rogers Center. How's Chris Bassett been in front of the new his new home fan base, right? And by the way, shout out to the Bassets for what they did there with Jay's Care. And, and did you see Chris Bassett as well? He mentioned that he thinks he and his wife looked into Jay's Care, and they think it's one of the best charitable organizations in sports. Sports. I thought that was amazing, amazing, amazing kudos for Jay's Care. So shout out to the Bassets and shout out to Jay's Care. But Chris Bassett at home this season, we talked about glass half full at the Rogers Center. Five and one record, 2.47 ERA. Yes, please. And thank you. Outstanding. Now the glass half empty. This will be Bassett's seventh day start. And everydayers will know. We've talked many times that when on bat when Bassett has night starts, we've talked about the fact that whatever legitimate routine is to get yourself ready for a night game. Chris Bassett is writing the book on it. He's been cash money in night games, day games. I'm going to repeat this because you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to think you you misheard it in his six day start so far. Chris Bassett's ERA is 9.69. Yes, you did hear that correctly. The hound on the mound. Didn't we say he's had some ups and downs. He's had some extremes. Well, in day games, Chris Bassett's ERA is a Toronto blue Jay so far. 9.69. Oof. <laughs> Bassett, this would be his 21st start for the Blue Jays this season. Jays are 12 and 8 when when the Hound is on the mound, including winning his last four starts and 
Jays are six and three over the nine starts Bassett's made at Rogers Center. Now, every day, as you know, every time Chris Bassett's on the mound, what do we deep dive in particular? We look at the matchups, especially the left-handed hitters. Chris Bassett against right-handed hitters? <laughs> day, night, home, away. The games at the Rogers Center, the games on the moon, the games in your backyard, it, 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 nothing has mattered. He has dominated right-handed batters. Righties, righties are hitting 201 against against Chris Bassett. He's dominated righties. Lefties? Different story. Different story. Lefties are hitting 286 versus Chris Bassett. And of the 18 home runs he's allowed so far in 2023, 14 <laughs> have come against left-handed hitters. My goodness. And when you talk lefties, his last couple outings, when we deep dive, we haven't there, there haven't been lefties in the opposing lineup that we were concerned with. Well, I mean, right, it was Chicago, it was Detroit. What about the San Diego Padres? What about Trent Grisham? He could be sneaky good, and he's been hot lately. What about Matt Carpenter? We know that he can get on hot streaks. They've got Jake Cronenworth. We know he can do some damage. And, of course, you already know, right? You already know, of course. Juan Soto. I mean, they've got Soto. They've got Juan Soto. Is he a bit of a left-handed threat at the plate? My goodness. My goodness. The 286. Now, the the only uh, – no, sorry. The, those lefties there, those four lefties – I can't think of another lefty that might be in the lineup tonight, so I'm thinking it'll be those four lefties. Now, they're a combined 6-for-21 in their career versus Chris Bassett. That's a 286 batting average. But ironically, the only Padres who have homered in their career against Chris Bassett are right-handed hitters. That's Manny Machado and Gary Sanchez. Now, I say ironically, maybe it's, maybe it's you know, scaredily. Is that even a word? Scaredily, I should say that. Uh, no, that's definitely not a word. Maybe it's with some trepidation that I should say that righties have also homered off of Bassett because don't tell me the righties are going to do well tonight against Bassett. We already know we got to keep an eye on those lefties against the hound on the mound. Now, one thing that I definitely want to shout out because, again, when you talk about the extremes with Chris Bassett, there's a lot that we've liked, but the walks have not been ideal. And again, if he was sitting here having this conversation with us, he would be having his hand up saying that's absolutely, absolutely correct, Craig. My walks have been an issue, but I'll say this. His last 13 and one-thirds innings pitched, no walks. No walks in his last 13 and one-third innings pitched. Let's go, Chris Bassett. He's going to be opposed by a stud. Holy moly, a stud. Blake Snell, the lefty on the mound, six and seven on the season. Well, Craig, I'm supposed to be impressed with six and seven. Well, 271 ERA, that's fourth best in all of baseball. And that 271 ERA gets even better on the road where Blake Snell's ERA is 2.47. Everydayers will remember, we had a long streak. We looked at it every time Barrios was starting, right, for a couple weeks back. Every single, Barrios had a stretch of like eight, nine, ten starts where every single time out he lowered his ERA. Blake, Blake Snell's on one of those heaters right now. Blake Snell has had 10 straight starts where he has lowered his ERA. Is that good? I mean, is that good? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's had 10 straight starts. He's looking for his 11th straight. He enters this game on a 21-inning scoreless streak. Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. 21 straight innings. Blake Snell is not allowed to run. In those 21 innings, just 12 hits allowed. Now 12 walks. And that is a definite glass half full. Blake Snell has been incredible. The walks have absolutely plagued him. He leads the league in walks, actually. He's issued the most walks this season. So in the 21, uh, last 21 innings, no runs, 12 hits, 12 walks. How, how can he be walking so many batters and not giving up any runs in those 21 innings? Well, in those 21 innings, 35 strikeouts. He is using the strikeout as an absolute weapon and has been on, has been on big time fire with that lately. 
back on uh, May 20, uh, sorry, May 19th, the Boston Red Sox smashed Blake Snell. So that was what? That was a little over two, two months ago. That dropped Blake Snell's record to one and six with an ERA of 5.40. Well, he's had 10 starts since then. Remember I said he's lowered his ERA, all 10 of those starts. Padres are six and four over those 10 starts. Remember the Padres are a losing team overall. So six and four is really good. And Snell himself. Okay. I hope you're sitting down for this one. Blake Snell over those 10 starts over his last 10 starts. He himself has a five and one record, 58 innings pitched. He's allowed just four runs in his last 10 starts. I will say that again, 58 innings pitched over his last 10 starts, just four runs allowed. That's a 0.69 ERA. Holy moly. Holy absolute moly. 0.69 ERA for, for Blake Snell. Again, this isn't over his last two or three starts. This is over his last 10 starts. This guy's on absolute fire. Now some glass half full for the Blue Jays. The He's done well. Blake Snell's done well on the road. The Padres haven't, though. They've lost four of his last five road starts. Blake Snell, this will be his eighth career start at Rogers Center. He's always pitched well at Rogers Center. 2.76 ERA at Rogers Center. Wow. Now some glass half full batters as against Blake Snell as Whit Merrifield. Whit Merrifield has done exceptionally, incredibly well. Whit Merrifield's five for nine against Blake Snell. It's a 556 batting average, and there's a walk in there as well. So it's a 600 on base percentage. Whit Merrifield has a 556 batting average and a 600 on base percentage against Blake Snell. Wow. Two of those five hits were a double, and there's a home run in there. So Whit Merrifield definitely looking at you to lead the charge offensively tonight. Could we see a Springer dinger tonight, especially when to lead off the game? I haven't seen one of those in, in a couple of weeks now. Chapman and Springer have both homered in their career off of Snell. And for a lefty, you know, if a lefty's pitching, you wouldn't think Dalton Varshow is going to be in the lineup. I'm actually advocating. I actually hope Dalton Varshow is in the lineup tonight. Every day is no, almost every single game. We look at the pitching matchup in the ballpark like we're just clamoring. We're we're deep diving so many things. We're, we don't want to leave any stone unturned. We're trying, trying, trying to find something that could be a positive that might kickstart Dalton Varshow's very dormant bat. Well, he's two for five with a double versus Snell. I wouldn't mind seeing Varsho in the lineup tonight. We know we're going to see Vladdy in the lineup. Speaking of two for five with a double versus Snell, like Dalton Varsho, well, same with Vlad, same with Vlad, two for five with a double versus Snell. Now, the chance for the Blue Jays tonight is to pick on Blake Snell's fastball. His changeup has been good. He throws that to righties. His slider's been good. The curveball has been unhittable. Opponents are hitting 082 this season against Blake Snell's curve. I mean, is that good? Oh my gosh. If when, when you're picking up that spin, if you're picking up the spin as a curve, unless there's two strikes and you need to do whatever it takes to protect the plate, anything other than two strikes tonight for the Toronto or this afternoon, sorry for the Toronto Blue Jays, and you're reading that spin as curveball, you are best to let it go because you're not about to do damage to that pitch. Coming up on the Locked On Blue Jay podcast, we're going to get into a few trades between these two franchises, Blue Jays and Padres. One is obvious, but I think the other one is an interesting story, and I hope you find it interesting as well. Now, first, I wanted to mention that for a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is the perfect fit. Well, it's the same when it comes to your car, right? To your vehicle, right? Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay's guaranteed fit, you can be sure that every part you need fits right the first time around. You just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know that that part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts to choose from, you're going to be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. 
Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers, eligible only items, exclusions apply. Now, the 1990 Toronto Blue Jays, they were an 86-win team. Now, following that season, early in December, December 4th to be precise, 1990, a trade was made that was as significant a trade as we've ever seen in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history. Of course, that was Fred McGriff and Tony Fernandez going from the Blue Jays to San Diego in exchange for Roberto Alomar and Joe Carter. Cito Gaston, this is a direct quote from Cito Gaston. Cito Gaston at the time of the trade said, this is about the biggest trade I can remember. Cito Gaston's been around the game of baseball. Even he said, this is as big as it gets. Now, by the time, I mean, ironically, I guess, sort of to a certain extent anyway, that by the time the Blue Jays would repeat as champions in 1993, both Fred McGriff and Tony Fernandez were not on the San Diego Padres anymore. In fact, Tony Fernandez by that time was already a Blue Jay again for the second time of four stints that Tony Fernandez would have over the course of his 17-year career. Yeah, Tony Fernandez in his 17 seasons in the big leagues was a Toronto Blue Jay on four different occasions. Love Tony Fernandez. Now, the... Blue Jays would make the playoffs right away. They made the playoffs in 1991, and then, of course, 92 and 93. Now, making the playoffs in 91 with, you know, uh, Alomar and Carter, obviously that was a great thing, right, and an accomplishment. Because, again, I'm going to remind you, these are in the days where you win your division or you go home, right? There is no wild card. You need to finish first place in your division or you're not making the playoffs. So making the playoffs was pretty cool, but the Blue Jays weren't the Blue Jays yet. They weren't the... It wasn't like they won in 92 and 93. Oh, did they blow a chance to win in 91 for the three-peat? No, that 91 team certainly good enough to make the playoffs, very obviously. But, yeah, it just wasn't quite the that that awesome, awesome Blue Jay team yet, right? That would come when, you know, Dave Winfield would walk in the door, Jack Morris would walk in the door. Then in 93, here comes Paul Molitor, here comes Dave Stewart. So in 91, let's put it this way. So the, the Blue Jays would lose um, four games to one in the American League Championship Series to the Minnesota Twins in 1991. The Twins would go on to win the, the World Series, so not exactly embarrassing to lose to them, but the way they lost was embarrassing. You, you could see they just they just weren't ready for this just yet. The one play I'm going to I'm going to mention that sort of describes that, I remember this too. This is incredible. There was a play at the plate. Pat Borders, the catcher. Now, Pat Borders, of course, would go on to be World Series MVP for the Blue Jays you know, mere months later, so he was about to pick things up, but on this particular play at the plate, Borders caught the ball, took the baseball out of his glove with his bare hand and then tagged the runner with his glove. And when the stunned home plate umpire, I mean, if we saw that on a little league field, we'd be wondering what, what just happened there? This, this person doesn't know the, the rules of the game. Are you kidding me right now? Yeah. Had the ball in the glove, took the ball out. So the ball's in his bare hand, tagged the guy with the glove, with the empty glove. And the glove is empty because he made it empty. Okay. The stunned umpire, home plate umpire, of course, calls him safe. Pat Borders goes nuts. He might have even got ejected. I have to go back and look at it again. But he went nuts arguing the call. And, and, and oh, my. His, his teammates had to had to show him and tell him, that, hey, Pat, oh, like, what are you thinking there? No, no, no. He was safe. You, you screwed that up. But anyway, that was the 1991 Toronto Blue Jays. Now, let's take a look at the players involved. So Fred McGriff. Fred McGriff would... would at the time of this trade, he had back-to-back -back top 10 finishes in MVP voting. So he was very, very good, right? Like he, he was he was really starting to establish himself as the Hall of Famer that we've come to know Fred McGriff as. They spent parts of three seasons with the Padres, and he was top 10 in MVP voting each of those seasons as well. Now, during 93, he was traded to the Atlanta Braves, and I mean, his Hall of Fame career really took off once he became an Atlanta Brave, just from the standpoint of, yes, he was putting up numbers with San Diego and Toronto, yes. 
elite numbers as well. But once he gets to the Braves, he continues to put up elite numbers, probably even takes it up another notch, to be honest with you. And, of course, the Hotlanta Braves in the 90s, they're in the playoffs every single year. So Fred McGriff was becoming a household name. He was able to make his, his case and, and make his run towards being a Hall of Famer. Tony Fernandez. Tony Fernandez, you know what? I think the Padres, the Padres had Fernandez for uh, almost two years there. I think, or for two years, they did have him for two seasons. I think overall they would say that they were pretty satisfied, pretty happy with him. Uh, the only reason I'm questioning a little bit is it is true that Fernandez, both those seasons, I think he hit 272 and 275 for the Padres. So that doesn't stink by any stretch of the imagination. And we know what a wizard Fernandez was defensively, but 272, 275, I mean, that is below... Tony Fernandez's own standards that uh, he would be traded in 1993 to the, uh, uh, sorry, uh, he would be a uh, bigger part. he would be signed by the New York Mets in, in the 1993 season. And uh, every day, as you'll remember, we talked about this just this week, he would get off the really slow start in 93 for the Mets. The Blue Jays fourth outfielder for 1993 was Darren Jackson. He was off to a terrible start. So they swapped. They swapped problem for problem, struggling player for struggling player, Tony Fernandez, for the second time becoming a Toronto Blue Jay in 1993. And every dayers will know we've looked at Fernandez's contribution to the 1993 uh, uh, World Series repeat champions before. It was epic. Fernandez would go on to hit, I think it was, it was either 306 or 307 the rest of the season for the Blue Jays. And in the playoffs, did very, very well. In fact, his nine RBIs in the 1993 World Series are a record for most RBIs by shortstop in the World Series. Tony Fernandez is epic. Tony Fernandez is epic. Now let's talk about Roberto Alomar. And I, I don't know how to broach Roberto Alomar here. I mean, we'll talk about his on-field I say I don't know how to broach it because very clearly uh, he did things that he would, you know, that, that that are not acceptable. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but what we do know is that Major League Baseball performed an investigation about sexual misconduct by Roberto Alomar, and the millisecond, the millisecond that investigation was completed, he was thrown out of baseball. So something was up. The millisecond that that investigation was completed, he was thrown out of Toronto Blue Jay lore. No level of excellence. You're not working with the team anymore. You are persona non grata around here. I mean, he's banned from Toronto Blue Jay. Anything Toronto Blue Jay is this, right? So we don't know what, we don't know the ins and outs of what happened, but we certainly know the end result. As I say, Major League Baseball immediately, you're gone. Toronto Blue Jays immediately, you're gone. For today on the Throwback Thursday, let, let's look at the, the at the on field. I, I hope that's okay to do so, but. Roberto Alomar spent five seasons with the Toronto Blue Jays. He would hit 307 with a 382 on base and an 833 OPS over the course of those five seasons. All five seasons with the Blue Jays, Roberto Alomar was an all-star. All five seasons with the Toronto Blue Jays, Roberto Alomar won the gold glove at second base. Three times, he would finish sixth in MVP voting as a Toronto Blue Jay. And 29 playoff games for the Toronto Blue Jays, he would hit 44 for 118. That's a 372 batting average. My goodness. And as good as these offensive numbers are, these are really good offensive numbers. And he was a switch hitter with some occasional pop as well. He was awesome at the plate. But of course, defensively, defensively, Roberto Alomar was as good as any player I've ever seen. And I'm, I didn't just say any second baseman I've ever seen. I just said as good defensively as any player I've ever seen. Now, of course, Roberto Alomar had that huge home run off Dennis Eckersley in the 1992 American League Championship Series. 
remember he puts the two fingers up in the, in the sky as well, that iconic pose that he had there. Uh, I've heard Devon White. I've heard a few Blue Jays from that team tell this story. So Dennis Eckersley uh, pitched the eighth inning as well for the A's in that game and, and got the Blue Jays out, preserved the lead, gave up a couple hits, but did preserve the lead. And he struck out the final batter of that inning. I wish I could remember who it was. I want to say Ed Sprague. But anyway, he struck out the final Blue Jay in the bottom of the eighth and he did a big, huge fist pump like this. And now we know even in this day and age, right, you can celebrate, you can do things like that but not if it's directed towards the dugout. And he did that directed right towards the Toronto Blue Jay dugout. So Dwayne Ward, um, uh, Hankin, uh, uh, Devo, I've heard a few Blue Jays say that every single Toronto Blue Jay, when, when Eckersley did that to them to end the eighth inning, they all super calmly grabbed their hat and their glove. They headed out to the field and every single one of them to a man was saying to each other, hey, we're going to get this guy. We're going to get this guy. There was no panic. There was no you know huge emotion. There was just like, oh my God, are you, is this guy kidding right now? We're going to get this guy in the ninth inning. Well, did they ever? And the story goes that the fingers in the air were because as Roberto Alomar was in the on-deck circle, Joe Carter was getting a bat ready to come up soon as well. And he says to Roberto Alomar, hey, if you hit a home run off of this, you know what, Eckersley, they didn't like Eckersley, of course, with those antics. If you hit a home run off of this, you know what, I'll give you $1,000. And Cito Gaston was there, was 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 standing right there. Remember where Cito Gaston used to be at, at the at that end of the dugout there, right where the on-deck circle would be. So Cito Gaston's right there and Cito hears that and says, what? Oh my God, hey, I'm in for 1,000 as well. I'll double that. I'm in for 1,000 as well. So as the story goes, that's why he put up the, the, the two ones, you know, not, hey, we're number one, 1,000 from Cito, 1,000 from Joe Carter. That's how the story goes anyway. And now let's get into Joe Carter, shall we? Joe Carter was a longtime Cleveland Indian. He was traded to San Diego in 1989 for some prospects. Included in those prospects were Sandy Alomar Jr. and Carlos Baerga. Both are epic. Both are iconic Indians, Cleveland Guardians now, Cleveland Indians at the time. But both Sandy Alomar Jr. and Carlos Baerga are, are legendary in the Cleveland organization. So a trade that worked out for all involved. Now, Joe Carter had a run of 10 out of 12 seasons. So over the course of 12 seasons, 10 times Joe Carter had a run in there where he had at least 100 RBIs. In those dozen seasons, the two times he didn't get 100 RBIs, he had 76 RBIs one season and 98 RBIs the other season. Joe Carter was an RBI machine. He twice as a Toronto Blue Jay led the league in sacrifice flies, like even things like that. If there was a, if there was an RBI opportunity out there, Joe Carter was cash money. He would spend seven seasons with the Toronto Blue Jays. He would amass 736 RBIs for the Toronto Blue Jays. And in six of those seven seasons in Toronto, at least 100 RBIs for Joe Carter. My goodness. He played a uh, from 1991 through 1994 as a Toronto Blue Jay. And, and during that time, he would finish 5th, 3rd, 12th, and 10th in MVP voting. Joe Carter was awesome. Joe Carter was awesome, right? 29 career playoff games for the Toronto Blue Jays, a 252 batting average with six home runs. We know what the sixth home run was, the most famous home run in probably World Series history, uh, certainly in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history. Shout out to Tom Cheek with the call. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. In our third and final segment today, Throwback Thursday, this is season number 47 for the Toronto Blue Jays. So let's do a real, real deep dive, a real digging here of a Throwback Thursday. Let, let's take a look at some prominent number 47s in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history, right? Let's take it back. Year number 47. How about some prominent number 47s? Well, let's start with some CanCon. 
some Canadian content. How about Corey Koski? Corey Koski wore number 47 for the Toronto Blue Jays. Had a very good career. I mean, Corey Koski, at the end of the day, is, is in the Manitoba Baseball Hall of Fame. He's in the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. He's in the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. He, he went in the same year. I mean, uh, he went in, uh, Corey Koski went into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, I want to say 2015. It was 2015. Uh, he went in with Carlos Delgado, Matt Stairs, Felipe Alou, and writer Bob Elliott. I mean, is that is that a heavyweight class? Is that a heavyweight class? Wow. So I bring up those accomplishments just to show that, I mean, Corey Koski was awesome over the course of his big league career. Only played one season with the Toronto Blue Jays. It was 2005. He would play 2006 with the Brewers and then retire. So point being, you know, when he joined the Jays, he had a very good career, but it was at the end of his career. Now, when, when he when he joined the Blue Jays, he, he was coming off a very good season. Don't get me wrong there, but things quickly did uh, deteriorate and, and he did have to retire shortly thereafter. In 2004, just before he joined the Blue Jays, he had, Corey Koski had 25 home runs and 71 RBIs. Well, in 2005 and 2006 combined before he retired, he didn't even equal 25 home runs in a total. He didn't even combine for 71 RBIs. So really, unfortunately, things, uh, things you know, did take a turn when he's with the Toronto Blue Jays. In 2005, Corey Koski would hit 247 overall, 11 home runs, 36 RBIs. I mean, that was a that, that was a career low. <laughs> These are career low numbers for Korakowski. Now, I believe RBIs he would set a new career low the the following season when he retired with the Brewers. But I, I, I mean, either way, you see that it wasn't the Korakowski Korakowski that the Toronto Blue Jays ended up with in 2005. I'm still glad he was a Blue Jay. I mean, it's always still cool to see a Canadian be a Blue Jay. Don't get me wrong on that. But yeah, the, the sort of you know what could have been. I wish Corey Koski was a Blue Jay earlier on in his career. Heck, his his uh, teammate Justin Morneau for the Minnesota Twins, a longtime Minnesota Twins. At, at his teammate Justin Morneau, at, at, I mean, at, at least <laughs> at, at least Koski played for the Blue Jays, right? The Canadian Morneau. We never got to see him with the Blue Jays, but but I digress there. Who else were number forty-seven for the Toronto Blue Jays? How about somebody extremely important in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history? That is Jack Morris. Jack Morris signed coming into the 1992 season now. And when the Blue Jays signed Jack Morris in 1992, we looked at the trade earlier that brought, you know, Alomar and Carter, how massive that was. The, the trade that brought in Jack Morris was, was just, you know, slightly less important to that, or, or sorry, sorry, the signing, I mean, just slightly less important, less important. Certainly we know what Alomar and Carter did, but Jack Morris signing was a very big deal. It really brought the legitimacy and, 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 took it over the hump as far as being a World Series contender. This is 92. 1991 season ended with Jack Morris winning Game 7 for the Minnesota Twins over the St. Louis Cardinals. He pitched a one nothing gem in Game 7, and you may remember, he pitched 10 innings. He pitched the entire game. It was a complete game shutout. 10 innings. Minnesota scored a run in the top of the 10th. Minnesota scored a run in the 10th. That's how they won that game one nothing. Jack Morris was pitching for them then. I mean, is that incredible? Is that incredible? Their 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 manager that uh, that day tried to take out Morris many times. A ten inning game, right? Tried to take out Morris many times in that game. Jack Morris flat out refused. This guy was an absolute bulldog, and really, the word that would describe him at this time was winner. That's why I say it brought a lot of legitimacy to the tw to the nineteen ninety two Toronto Blue Jays. The Jays were twenty five and four when Jack Morris pitched in 1992 and they'd scored at least two runs. So basically if the offense did anything for the 92 Blue Jays and Jack Morris was on the mound, they won that game. He himself at Rogers center was 11 and two. Now this would have been Skydome at the time, right? So he himself at sky at home had a, was 11 and two with an ERA just over three, really good. Now I say 25 and four when the Blue Jays would score at least two runs. Well, if they could tack on that third run, <laughs> 
They were 20 and one, 20 and one in the regular season under Jack Morris. If the Blue Jays scored at least three runs. Now that was a lot of winning that went on. Boy, I'll, I'll say this. The, the winning did not continue in the playoffs. Jack Morris would start game one of the American league championship series. So, I mean, remember in, in 92, there's just the American League East, the American League West, the National League East, the National League West. You win the division or you go home. So the division winners automatically are in the American League or in or the National. They're in the they're in the championship series right away. Right away, you play in the series that sends you that sends the winner to the World Series. So this was game one of the 92 ALCS, which is game one of the playoffs. Of course, Jack Jack Morris out there. Now he's out there versus uh, versus the Oakland A's. This particular start was his best playoff start for the Toronto Blue Jays. He would throw a complete game, gave up three home runs. Now, in his nine previous playoff games, he had given up three home runs total. So seeing him give up three home runs, any pitcher giving up three home runs in the playoffs, you're you're raising a, a spocky and eyebrow, right? You're like, what? That that doesn't seem good to me. That <laughs> that, that seems odd. How is that the, this team's ace? He's given up three home runs. Well, he'd only given up three home runs total in his other previous nine playoff starts, but Mark McGuire and Terry Steinbach went back-to-back off him. That would make the game a 3 nothing. And then Pat Borders would hit a solo home run in the fifth. Dave Winfield, a solo home run in the sixth. Now it's 3-2. to two. Bottom of the eighth, off Dave Stewart, two out. Dave Winfield double. So there's nobody on base. Jays are down one. Dave Winfield with a two-out double. John Olerud with a clutch two-out single. Three-all. Top of the ninth inning. Jack Moore still out there for the Blue Jays, and he would hit the third home run of the game. A Harold Baines, he would give up, I mean, the, his third home run of the game. Harold Baines would hit the game-winning home run. Wow. So the Blue Jays would lose that heartbreaker. And things for Jack Morris would get worse. He would get absolutely rocked in game four. Now, the Blue Jays would win game four. That's the one where Roberto Alomar hit that ninth-inning two-run home run off of Dennis Eckersley, one of the more famous home runs in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history, right? So Alomar saving the day for Jack Morris and the Blue Jay that particular day. Now, they would go on into the World Series. Now, of course, in the World Series in 1992, the, the Blue Jays would play and beat the Atlanta Braves four games to two. Well, four games to two. So the Jays lost two games. They lost Jack Morris' start in game one. They lost Jack Morris' start in game five. <laughs> now, what really made me laugh and what I still remember, and every day as we'll, we'll recall, I was saying the other day, I was at that game five. Hoping the Blue Jays would clinch the World Series in Toronto rather than going to Atlanta for game six and seven if needed. It wasn't needed. Jays won in Atlanta in game six. But after that game five, uh, Jack Morris uh, had a great line. He, he declared that the World Series was over and, and the Blue Jays were going to win it because uh, he's not pitching again. <laughs> like he was even acknowledging, he was at some tongue in cheek acknowledgement that, yeah, in the playoffs, he really struggled. He won 21 games in the regular season. Like he was a main reason why the Blue Jays were even in the playoffs in 92. But once they got in the playoffs, oh boy. Now, Jack Morris had been top 13 in MVP and top five in Cy Young voting in 1991 with Minnesota and again in 92 with the Toronto Blue Jays. He would still be a Blue Jay in 1993, but he did not figure in to the World Series run. He would make 27 starts, Jack Morsewood, for the 93 Blue Jays, 7-12 and 12 record, and his ERA was over six. It was near the end for Jack Morse. He would actually pitch one more season in, in, in 94. He would pitch one more season with Cleveland and then retire. Jack Morris was on the Hall of Fame ballot for 15 years and voted into the Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee in 2017. His 3.90 ERA, fun fact, Jack Morris's career ERA was 3.90. That's the highest ERA of anybody in the Hall of Fame. But Jack Morris, season number 47, again, 
things went sideways in the playoffs for Jack Morris, fully admitted. But the 1992 Toronto Blue Jays, there's no way they can be World Series champions because there's no way they could even have qualified for the playoffs. Again, you got to win the division, right? 92 Blue Jays aren't winning that division if not for the stellar season put together by Jack Morris. Number 47, Jack Morris. That is a wrap for this week's Locked On Blue Jay podcast. Is yes, indeed, I am off tomorrow. I do have a long weekend coming up here. So now there is something on Friday, though, as I have a really exciting announcement about a live event that the Locked On Blue Jay podcast and the Walk Off podcast are hosting together in Toronto in September. Stay tuned for details. I think it's going to be an awesome night. All kinds of fun. All kinds of special guests dropping by as well. All kinds of give. And anyway, you'll, you'll get that information tomorrow on Friday. Now, reminder, you can catch this afternoon's Blue Jay game on SiriusXM. And for now, keep it locked on the Locked On Podcast Network and check out Sully hosting Locked On MLB. I hope your weekend is full of Toronto Blue Jay victories, and I'll see you tomorrow for the big announcement.